Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right. Y'all doing okay? Love it. Uh, I've been better. Uh, I'm a little bit nasally uh, currently. I just figured I'd get ahead of that before y'all noticed and got grossed out by it. So uh, that's where I've been. I did, uh, I tested negative for COVID yesterday, so we're all good on that front. Just a nasty cold. I told Marcus I may need to tag out at any point. If I start hacking up a lung up here, I can just tag and he'll, he'll go uh, with it. So we'll see how that goes. That could be fun. little excitement for our mornings. Uh, but if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to that passage that Wes just read for us, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, this morning, if you haven't already heard or haven't already seen on the bulletin or on the screen, uh, we are starting a new teaching series called Good News for All People, uh, which, as you may have already guessed, is our Christmas series. Now, normally we would not... Yeah, some people are excited about Christmas. That's great. Uh, <laughs> Normally, we would not start a Christmas series six whole weeks out from Christmas. Uh, I, I feel like that feels a little bit early, at least for some of us in the room. But then again, the past two years have been different sorts of years, right? So if we want to start celebrating Christmas early, who's really going to stop us? Am I right? I feel like somehow, some way, we have earned it these past couple years. So we're going to start our Christmas series. I've felt this uh, in my personal life, too. Uh, on a typical year, my wife Anna would be the first to tell you, I have the slightest bit of Grinch tendencies in me. Just a little bit. Not a ton, just a little bit. Uh, I'm more of the one holiday at a time, let's not get ahead of ourselves type of person. But this year, all of that got tossed out the window. Uh, our tree is out. Our lights are up. Uh, Christmas music is playing on Spotify at nearly all times of the day. So if somebody wants to come celebrate Christmas with us for the next month and a half and probably sometime into like mid-March, just come on over. Uh, that's what we're doing this year. We just feel like uh, that's the right response for us. But with all of that, uh, we are also starting our Christmas series as a church. Now, if you are like me on a typical year and, and you're still holding out, you're not quite in the Christmas mood as of yet, that's totally fine. Uh, today actually isn't going to be all that Christmassy in its entirety. And this series is really going to be a, a sort of a different kind of a Christmas series. But we are going to at least start with that Christmas passage that we just heard read. And we're going to sort of use that passage to frame up the rest of our time together. So take a look with me. Start Starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And I'll just pause right there for just a second. So real quick, we did uh, some work on the idea of shepherds a couple weeks back in our Question Everything series. I think it was two weeks ago. If you weren't here for that, feel free to go back, grab the podcast. But as the passage today alludes to, shepherds back then often lived out in the fields with their flocks, with the sheep that they were taking care of. So shepherding often back then was not so much like a, a clock in, clock out sort of job as it was a lifestyle, 
really. Their job was to protect and look after the sheep at all times, and nighttime was one of the most vulnerable times for the sheep. It was one of the most likely times for the sheep to be attacked or stolen or wander off and get lost. So shepherds would live and actually sleep out in the fields with their flock to help make sure that none of that happened. And because of that responsibility of shepherds, um, shepherds were not the cleanest of people. Uh, so think less of like the airbrushed Christmas painting you see at your grandma's house with shepherds pleasantly smiling out in the field and think more of the crowd that you would find at your local truck stop late at night. That's, that's the group of people that we're talking about here. That's the type of people that we're talking about here. And yet... This is the crowd that God chooses to first announce the arrival of the Messiah to. And I think that's significant. God has this incredible, world-changing, life-altering news to deliver, and he chooses to deliver it to the lowest and the least of these in society. I mean, you would expect news like this of the coming Messiah to be announced in the middle of the day at the steps of the temple courts, right, where everybody could see and everybody could hear, somewhere that commands attention, somewhere where everyone would take notice, and instead, it's announced in the middle of the night, in the middle of the field, in the middle of the country to no-name shepherds. Now... All of this, I think, points to the type of message that this announcement will be and who it will be especially good news for, but that's getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit. For now, keep reading with me in verse 9 of the passage. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, to which the shepherds are thinking, okay, minor adjustment, since afraid was pretty much the primary response we were going with. So far, then the angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So there's our language, good news for all people. Today in the town of David, in other words, the city of Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So this angel says that there is a baby somewhere wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, somewhere near the city of Bethlehem at this very moment. And then the angel says that all of this, this this information is, quote, good news for all people. That, strictly speaking, what we just read is the original message of Christmas, good news for all people. That phrase, good news, in the Greek is the word euangelion. Sometimes it's, it's translated good news. Sometimes it's translated with the English word gospel. Those words are interchangeable in the Bible. What the angel delivered to the shepherds that night out in the fields was a telling of the gospel. And this message, the gospel, is, is not just the central message of Christmas, right? It's, it's also the central message at the very center of our faith as followers of Jesus. That's really what all of this is about. When we get together here on Sundays, that's what this is about, is that good news, that gospel. That's what we here at City Church are all about. We want to be about the good news of Jesus, and that's what each of our individual lives should be about as followers of 
Jesus, the gospel or the good news of Jesus. That much, that the gospel is at the center of what it means to be a Christian, that much I think at least most Orthodox Christians can agree on. Now, they might not be able to agree on much else, as we're all very familiar with, but that much I think they can agree on. The gospel is at the very center of what it means to follow Jesus. But all of that does raise the question, what is the gospel? When we use that word, gospel, or good news of Jesus, what is it that we are referring to exactly? What is the good news of Jesus? Now, I want to challenge you to really think on that question for a second. Because some of us, especially those of us that have been around the church for some amount of time, you might say to that, oh, come on, we know what the gospel is. I know what the gospel is, and maybe you do, but at the same time, I bet if I were to go around this room with a microphone right now and ask every single one of you to articulate what the good news of Jesus is, don't worry, I'm not going to do that. I know some of you just got very anxious. I'm not going to do that, but if I were to do that, my guess is that I would probably get a variety of different answers. And some of that might just be that we all articulate it slightly differently and we put it in language that makes the most sense to us, and that's fine. But some of it, too, might be that some of us have very different conceptions of what the gospel is. For example, is the gospel a formula? Is it a a prayer that we recite by which we can go to heaven when we die? Is the gospel a, a promise about God meeting all of our needs and or wants? Is the gospel a moment on the cross where Jesus died in order to forgive us for our sins? Is the gospel a get-out-of-hell-free card? Is it glorified fire insurance for when we die? Is the gospel a a process by which Jesus is dismantling the evil power structures and systems of our world? Is the gospel all of those? Is it none of those? Is it some combination of a few of those? What is the message of the gospel? I'm just trying to help you see the importance of this question. What is the gospel? You, you see, it, rem- it, it matters how we perceive of this message of good news. It matters tremendously. It makes a difference in what we say and how we live and what we communicate to others. You you see, while to some of us, the question, what is the gospel, might sound like an extremely elementary question to ask, I think it is an absolutely necessary question to ask. Because if we get the answer to that question, what is the gospel, wrong, then we can't get a whole lot else right when it comes to following Jesus, right? Because this message is behind all of it. It's behind everything that it means to follow after him. To understand the message of Christmas and to understand our lives in general as followers of Jesus, we need to understand what the gospel is. So this morning, that's what I want to try to help us on. I want us to try to to help answer the question, What is the gospel exactly? What was it that that angel was announcing to those shepherds out in the middle of the field? And what did it mean as a result? And with that, what did it mean that the angel said it was good news, quote, for all people? What did that part of it mean? So I think we've got our work cut out for us this morning. Here's how I want to try and go about it. I want us to follow this idea, this terminology of good news, 
through some of the Bible. So doing it this way is often called biblical theology or maybe canonical theology where you trace the development of a word or a concept or an idea through the Bible in order to discover more fully what it means. And while we won't be able to cover every passage in the Bible where the word gospel comes up, I don't think you guys were committed to being here for that long, we're at least going to hit some of the highlights with that word, good news or gospel. So I hope you're ready. Are you ready? It might just be me. I feel sleepy up here, and so I think I'm, I'm projecting that onto you guys. You guys might be doing great, but I'm sleepy. So I just wanted to get some buy-in before we dive into all of this. You guys ready? Yeah. Love it. Nobody has ever been that excited about biblical theology ever. That's great. I, I love our church so much. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three or four separate passages that help us develop an understanding of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Because we're covering so many of them, um, we're going to put the passages in their entirety up on the screen. But if you're just like an expert level Bible flipper and you're up for a challenge, you're welcome to turn to each one of these in your Bible, but they will be up on the screen as well. So I wanted to let you know about that. First, we need to look at one of the first times that this idea, this terminology of good news comes up, and that's actually in the Old Testament book, Isaiah. So Isaiah is really crucial to our understanding of what the gospel is. One New Testament scholar actually goes so far as to say it's nearly impossible to explain the term gospel without referring to Isaiah. That's how important this book is. Massively important book for understanding this idea. So let's kick things off there, looking specifically at Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. There's our language. Those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in sight of all the nations. And the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Let's start right there. So a, a couple things worth noting about the passage we just read. First, notice the three major components or the three major movements of those verses we just read. There is good news announced, that's in verse 7, that leads to joy, verses 8 and 9, and it's news that is for or available to all the nations, that's in verse 10. Now remember that generally in the Old Testament, the word nations does not refer to plot lines on a map or areas on a map. It refers to different ethnicities of people, which means that Isaiah 52 describes in order good news of great joy for all people. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It would not be a stretch at all to say that the angel's message to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 is actually just a condensed, a summarized version of what we just read in Isaiah 52. But I also want us to focus on verse 7 in Isaiah 52 for just a minute. There it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
That's an odd statement, if you think about it, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what's that all about? To understand that, you need to understand the original meaning of the phrase good news. Believe it or not, that phrase, good news, is not actually original to the Bible, not at all. It it was actually political and military terminology at the time. So if you lived in the ancient world, and, and let's say your nation went to war and they won the battle, There was no printing press or or cable news outlets or social media to tell you who won the war. You couldn't just whip out your iPhone and Google who won. Like that, that wasn't a thing that existed. So instead, what would happen is that a member of the military who was there in person for the victory would have to come back as fast as they could on foot and tell you that your nation won. And as soon as the battle was over, that's exactly what they would do. They would immediately travel back to your town or your village as fast as they could, and upon their return, they would announce the good news to the people of your village or nation. The people of the village would wait with anxious anticipation as that person said something like, this is the good news, the battle has been won, and because the battle has been won, we are no longer enslaved, or we don't have to live in fear of being enslaved in the future, or any number of other positive implications. That's the experience that Isaiah is referring to here when he says, beautiful are the feet of him who comes delivering good news. If your nation was at war and you heard the sound of someone's feet running up off in the distance, that was generally a good sign because that meant that they came bearing good news. So notice this, good news in Isaiah's world, in his sort of imagination, was an announcement about something good that had been accomplished on your behalf, the result of which your life and your world were substantially different. That's the idea behind a gospel. In fact, that word euangelion in the New Testament is made up of two other words, eu, meaning good, and agelos, meaning herald or announcement. So agelos is actually where we get the English word angel, as in the angel that appeared to the shepherds in Luke 2 and announced the good news. So when this angel showed up to the shepherds and used words like, I come to bear good news, I come to bring and deliver good news to you, the shepherds would have heard it as precisely that, an announcement about something that had been accomplished on their behalf, the result of which their life and their world would be substantially different. That's the connotation that the word had. Is everybody following so far? Okay. Now, right after all of this in Isaiah 52... Isaiah 53 transitions into how some of this will come about. And and it's kind of an odd transition. If you're just reading through the book of Isaiah, it's kind of a weird transition from chapter 52 to chapter 53 because it goes from all this language about God being king and God ruling with a mighty arm to a full chapter about a figure known as the suffering servant. Somehow this announcement about God reigning as king in a mighty sort of way is related to this other figure, suffering, being hated, despised, rejected, mistreated, which, let's just be honest, that's an odd pairing, right? When you think about God's mighty arm being revealed and a royal announcement about good news, you don't normally associate it with suffering and rejection. But apparently in the Bible, those two things often go hand in hand. 
So let's go next to Isaiah 61. Turn over a few pages if you're following along with us. Isaiah 61. So here we see the next significant mention of this good news that Isaiah is referring to. And I think this one starts to clue us in on what it means that this good news is good news for all people. So look with me at Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. So here we get some detail about the intended audience of this good news. According to Isaiah, this good news contains a special focus on people like the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, and those who are victims of injustice. This good news is especially for those types of people. Now, I bring that up, one, because it's in the passage, but two, because I don't know that the good news of Jesus always comes across that way in our modern world. I mean, I'll just ask you, when you think of the average person that you work with or go to school with, when that person in your life who's not a follower of Jesus, when they think of the good news of Jesus or when they think of the people of Jesus that embody that news, do you think it sounds to them like it's good news to the poor? Does it sound to them like good news to the brokenhearted or to the captive or to the oppressed or to the imprisoned? I think at times we may not have done the best job communicating that aspect of the good news of Jesus. And at times, I think we may have communicated, whether it's on purpose or by accident, we may have communicated precisely the opposite of that. I think at times we may have taken this good news to the poor and to the oppressed and to the captive and to the marginalized and reduced it all the way down to just some sort of spiritual experience by which people can live a more fulfilled life. But here's the thing, we can't do that and still call it the biblical gospel. The Bible won't let us do that. Let me read you a quote from a woman named Beth Moore. If you've never read or listened to Beth Moore, uh, she is a delightful human being. I mean, she is just, she's funny, she's engaging, she's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to the Bible. I'm pretty sure she's written more Bible studies than I have read in my life. Here's what she says about the gospel. When the gospel has become bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, and to the brokenhearted and imprisoned, and good news to the proud, self-righteous, and privileged instead, it is no longer the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think she's got a valid point. If there is nothing about the good news that we are proclaiming to our city and to our world, if there's nothing about that news that is good news to these specific types of people in our world, I think we need to consider whether or not we are proclaiming the same good news that the Bible proclaimed. 
Because the good news that Isaiah announced was good news, not just to the middle to upper class, semi-well-off, put-together people in his world, not just to the people that are doing pretty good but need an extra spiritual shot in the arm every once in a while to help them feel better about themselves. It was good news to the poor and to the broken and to the down and out, to the forgotten about and the left out and the looked over. The message that Isaiah proclaimed was that those people, even in a especially those people, were invited and welcome in the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God was a place where those people, even and especially those people, could experience life as it was meant to be all along. And just a couple chapters after the story about the shepherds in Luke, Jesus actually quotes this same passage from Isaiah 61. He uses it as a sort of introduction to his life of public ministry. He says in no uncertain terms that he is the one that God has anointed to proclaim this good news to those types of people. That's what his ministry would be all about. And if you read through the Gospels beginning to end, they would all seem to confirm that reality. Jesus' entire ministry is among and for those groups of people that Isaiah 61 mentioned. Nearly every miracle that Jesus performs is for someone who fits in those types of categories, the poor, the oppressed, the hurting, the weak, or bare minimum, someone who is socially ostracized in some way in their society. If you were to cut out all of the parts of the Gospels where Jesus interacts with and heals and helps those types of people, you would be left with nothing at all. It is undeniable that this was a central focus of Jesus' ministry because it was the essence of the good news that he came to announce. This was his Gospel. And then finally, I want us to look at one example of the Apostle Paul unpacking the gospel. Because while the gospel doesn't originate, contrary to popular belief, while it doesn't originate in the New Testament or with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul's letters do frequently reference the gospel. And so take a look with me at one of the more explicit examples of that in his letters, 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, i.e. the gospel, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is what matters most, in other words that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, and the passage goes on. So notice that according to this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus dying for our sins is massively important to how we understand the gospel. It is absolutely central to the whole thing. Without Jesus dying for our sins, we don't have the gospel at all. We don't have the rescue that we need from all that plagues us and all that plagues our world. The cross is where Jesus took on the sins of the world and gave us a way to walk in freedom from those sins. It's where all of that happened. 
Without that phrase, Jesus died for our sins and Jesus was raised on the third day, you no longer have the gospel proclaimed in the Bible either. But notice there's a really important phrase that gets repeated twice in that passage too. It comes right after that part and it gets repeated. It's that Jesus died for our sins, quote, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Jesus died according to the scriptures, it says, and Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. So why does Paul include that phrase, according to the scriptures? I mean, you don't need the rest of the Bible to unpack the idea of death or even the idea of resurrection, right? So why does it matter that those things happened in accordance with the scriptures? I think it's because Paul is trying to connect this part of the story about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to the rest of the story that we find throughout the Bible, This gospel that Paul is preaching in 1 Corinthians 15 was not a new version of the story, but a fulfillment of the story that the entire Bible was telling. This Jesus is the Messiah that Isaiah was pointing to. He is the suffering servant from Isaiah 52. He is the one that has been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the oppressed, freedom to the captives, and his life, death, and resurrection are central to all of that. Paul is trying to show us that the gospel message he proclaims cannot be isolated from and separated from the rest of the story. You can't take the good news that Isaiah alludes to and the good news that Paul refers to and unhitch them from one another. It won't work that way. They're the same message in different stages. We cannot take a message that throughout the Bible emphasizes the poor and the downtrodden and the marginalized and then read a couple lines from Paul and conclude that the gospel is just a message about how we can all go to heaven when we die. You can't read it that way. And we can't read Paul about how we needed Jesus to die for our sins and then read Isaiah and conclude that the gospel is just about doing kind things for the poor and the oppressed. Both of those would be incomplete gospels. We need the full and complete gospel if we're going to follow Jesus. So here at City Church... Here is how we try to include both those ideas and how we articulate the gospel as a church family. We put it this way. God, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is reconciling all things to himself. God, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is reconciling all things to himself. Now, you might word it a little bit differently than that, and that's totally fine. There is no one word-for-word correct way to articulate the gospel. There are definitely some wrong ways, (laughs) but there are also plenty of correct ways. So you don't have to word it exactly that way, but that's how you'll hear us talk about it around here. And, And we put it that way, we put it in those words, because each part of it is important to us. The gospel is about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, It's about how those very things give us rescue and victory over our sin. It's how those things save us from God's wrath and the power of hell and all the other things that sin puts us on a trajectory towards. And 
The gospel is about how by doing just that, Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. He's restoring things in the world to how they were always meant to be. He's delivering good news to the poor and the oppressed and those who are most disproportionately impacted by the world's broken state. He's both looking out for them and at the same time, he is slowly dismantling the sinful systems that continue to do great harm to those people. As followers of Jesus grounded in the biblical gospel that we read in the scriptures, we don't have to choose one of these messages over the other. They're not in competition with each other. They're in complete unison. Our rescue from sin and all of its effects is what motivates our concern for the least of these in our world. And our care and concern for the least of these is an embodiment of the fact that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. They work together. And I don't think there's any better place to see these messages embodied than in the Christmas story. God announces the arrival of Jesus the Messiah first to a poor peasant girl who is engaged to be married to a poor Jewish man. He then announces the birth of Jesus to shepherds sleeping out in the countryside. The poor and the neglected and the marginalized are core to the story all the way through the Bible. They're a necessary part of the whole thing, which is why I think this is the perfect thing for us to discuss this Christmas season. So in light of all of that, uh, I want to update you guys on something that we've been planning as a church for quite some time, and we're going to roll it out this Christmas season. Band, if y'all want to come on up. Um, I want to update you guys on something that's been in the works for quite a while. Uh, we were actually going to roll it out last Christmas, but COVID threw all of that for a loop, just like it has everything else in the world. Um, but this year, I think we are finally ready to announce it to our church family. Uh, most of you who have been around our church for very long at all have heard us discuss our heart for what the Bible calls justice which is the biblical language for loving and caring for the least of these, the overlooked, the marginalized, the poor, the forgotten about, the under-resourced. You've heard us talk about how that is a big part of who we are, and it's a big part of us embodying the love and the compassion of Jesus as a church family. And and while we've done a good bit since our conception as a church to, to participate in those types of things in our city, we haven't had up to this point any regular year in, year out recurring opportunities to do that. But this Christmas, our plan is to change all of that. This year, we want to introduce you guys to five partnerships that we've been forming with five organizations in our city that help, her, so help serve five specific groups of people in our city that are in need. Before I tell you who they are and, and, and why we chose these organizations, I, I do want to tell you just a little bit about how we arrived at these particular groups, these particular organizations. So much of it comes down to an idea that we've mentioned here on Sundays before in the Bible. Anytime that it talks about doing justice, it tends to bring up several specific groups of people in the ancient world. Those groups typically are the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. Those four groups of people get a particular focus over and over again in the Bible when it comes to doing justice, when it comes to caring for those that are especially vulnerable in our world. 
And that's because at the time, they were very vulnerable in their world. Pastor Tim Keller, commenting on this pattern in the Bible, says this. In pre-modern agrarian societies, these four groups had no social power. They lived at subsistence level and were only days from starvation if there was any famine, invasion, or even minor social unrest. Today, this quartet, these groups of people, would be expanded to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, many single parents, and elderly people. So these are the types of people that tend to especially get overlooked, taken advantage of, marginalized, in our society. So when we were thinking about what groups of people we wanted to specifically focus in on helping and serving, we used that group of people in the Bible as a guide. We took that list and sort of the extended list that you heard in that quote from Tim Keller, and we did our best to match them up with connections that we had and organizations we knew of doing great work in our city. So beginning this year, this Christmas, here's the plan. We are going to be caring specifically for single moms, foster children, the homeless, refugee families, and exploited women in our city. And we're going to be doing all of that by partnering with organizations that are already caring for those groups of people really, really well. So our partnerships with these organizations are going to have at least three elements, three components to them. First, they're going to have a financial component to them. So first, we want to put our money where our mouth is with all of this. So we've spoken with our financial advisory team here at City Church, which is the team made up of members of our church that help us decide how we spend money and what we spend money on. And they have helped us formulate a plan to start transitioning our monthly budget as a church to give financially to each of these organizations, each of these groups of people. The goal is that over the next few years, we will transition 10% of our church budget to go straight out the door and a large portion of that will be to organizations like these. Those of you that know anything about budgets or budgets for nonprofits, you know that that is a process and it'll take a little bit of time to arrive at, but we've locked that in as a goal for us starting this year. We've, always, we've already begun giving towards that. The second component that all of this will have is a life group component. With each of these groups of people, we're wanting to ongoingly care for them and partner with the organization serving them by having a life group sort of adopt each of these groups of people, so to speak. So Jeff, our life group's pastor, will be reaching out in the coming months about that to our life group leaders and tell you how all of that's going to work and how we're going to go about it. But the goal is that once a quarter or so, each life group would get to do something oriented towards those groups of people and be in partnership with those organizations. We want all of our life groups to be in on the joy of helping serve and love the most vulnerable populations in our city. And then last but not least, and this is the thing that we wanted to announce to you this Christmas, specifically this Christmas, there will be a Christmas component to all of this as well. So we are asking every one of you that can to help us meet some tangible needs this Christmas that these organizations have. So each week during the remainder of the series, we are encouraging you to bring one item to the gathering that will meet a practical need for each of these groups of people. So we'll put uh, the details on the screen. Is there the slide? Yeah. So this is what we'll do each Sunday for the rest of this series. 
November 21st, we'll bring diapers and onesies for single moms. November 28th, we'll bring adult-sized coats for the homeless in our city. December 5th, kids-sized coats for foster children. December 12th, bedding for refugee families. And December 19th, toiletries for exploited women in our city. So each week, we're asking you to bring something where we can help meet practical needs that we've been told are needs that these particular groups of people have. So on your way out, you'll get a postcard that has all of that on there. I don't expect you to remember it. You're welcome to take a picture of the slide, but you'll also get a postcard on your way out. It'll also be printed on the back of your bulletin each week during the series, an abbreviated version of it. So you can find it there. Um, also, all of it will be available on our website at citychurchnox.com justice. You can find all of those details there. But each week, we're asking you to bring one particular item for one particular group of people. And if you're anything like me and you think you might really want to do this, but you might forget to actually go purchase the things, that would be my guess about me. And so maybe it's true for some of you guys as well. Maybe y'all are all better than me, but I would probably forget. Uh, just in case that's you, we've set up something to help you remember. So if you will go to your phone and you will just text the word reminder to the number 94000, then we will send you a reminder each week, probably one at the beginning of the week, one towards the end of the week about what you need to bring that Sunday. And so all of these ways are, are just ways for us to partner with organizations that are doing incredible work in our city. I hope you guys will get involved with us in this. Let, let me just say this. Uh, I know this is a big ask to bring something each, every, each and every week for the next five weeks. Um, I get that that might be a lot. I get that that might not be something that some of us in the room can do. And I want you to know that's totally fine. If you're just like, hey, I don't really have margin in my budget to do any of this right now. Uh, understand that we want to be a church that helps you meet your needs as well. So if there's something you need that we can help you with, let us know and we would absolutely love to do that. Uh, for, for others of you, maybe you're looking at that list and you're like, okay, I can probably help with one of those weeks, maybe two of those weeks, but I don't think I can do something every week. That's totally fine. That's great. That's awesome. We would love for you to participate in that way. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I, I don't know that I can purchase those things by myself, but probably like two or three people from my life group, we could go in together on it and we could each, we could kind of chip in and we could purchase something together and bring it. That's awesome too. Have somebody go purchase it and then Venmo the other people. But like actually Venmo them. Sometimes we forget to Venmo people. I don't know if that's a thing y'all have experienced, but... Uh, Maybe actually Venmo them, like remember to do it, but maybe, maybe you go in with several people that you know, several other people that are here with you today, several people in your life group, and you go, hey, we can't each afford one of these items every single week, but probably if we chip in together, we can collectively bring something for every week. Um, all of this is available online. If it's easier for you, we have links to wish list on that page, citychurchnox.com slash justice, where you can actually just purchase it online and it'll ship it right here to the building uh, to us and we'll take care of it. If that's easier, great. Or if it would be fun for you and you and your life group to like go out to Target, buy some stuff and then bring it in together on Sunday, do that. Whatever works for you, we're just wanting to make it as easy as possible for you to get involved in caring for people in our city that are in need of some tangible things this Christmas. And so I hope you guys are excited about this. Are we excited about this this Christmas? Um, I think, uh, man, something that we were talking about with our staff uh, just over the past couple weeks is 
there's just something about the past couple years with COVID and you know, quarantine and isolation and all of that stuff that I think if we're not careful, kind of the lingering effect it can have is that we become very self-focused. And maybe that happens at an individual level where it's, I, I just become very consumed with me and my needs and the things that I need to get done and my schedule and all of that. Or it could even happen at a church level. I think it would be really easy for us as a church, as a community of Jesus followers to just start focusing inward. And it's all about how do we survive and how do we get through this crazy season of doing church and trying to figure out how to survive and all of that stuff. And so something that I think I'm hoping will be very helpful about this is that it will actually force us to turn our attention outward and remember that there are people with real needs in our city. There are people suffering in our city that we can help and we can be a part of doing justice towards so that they can survive, so they can literally survive. And so I hope you'll join us in this. Like I said, do what you can. Nobody's gonna get mad at you if there's parts of it that you can't do or you don't have the resources to. But I'm hoping that this Christmas we'll all get involved. First John says, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. The part of what it looks like to love people, that's what it says on that postcard. It says, let's love our city. Part of loving our city is doing tangible things that meet needs in our city. And so that's what we're looking to do this Christmas season. All of that is available online. All of that will be on the handouts that you get on your way out. But I hope you'll participate with us this Christmas season. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship. Father, thank you for who you are. (laughs) Thank you for sending Jesus And thank you that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you are reconciling all things to yourself. God, thank you that we get to know you through Jesus. God, thank you that we get to be loved by you. God, thank you that you have dealt with our sin that separated us from you by nailing it to the cross. And thank you that you give us a way to live in freedom from that sin. And God, that in that you give us the ability to to help see more and more of our world reconciled to how you designed it to be. And so God, this Christmas, I I pray that we would remember um, that message. I pray that we would remember what you did for us, um, what you accomplished by sending Jesus. And that God, all of that would be motivation. It would be inspiration to go and meet tangible needs of people in our city. God, I pray that you would cultivate a generous heart in us, that you would cultivate a sacrificial heart in us. God, that you would make us reconcilers, that you would make us um, agents in that effort to reconcile all things to yourself. God, our prayer is that you would fill us with your spirit to do precisely that in our relationships, in our workplaces, and where we go to school, in our neighborhoods. God, we want to be used as agents of reconciliation.
to participate in the grand mission that you have for your world, and that's making all things new. We ask this in your name.